Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Welcome, bro. I'm here in studio with Panos again today. Yeah. What's exciting. going on? You're not much, man. You know, just day in, day out, every day, yep. another dog. We've got a little bit more of a technical episode this time. Yes. We're talking about distance and versus flooding or distance and flooding. Mm. And obviously, a lot of dog trainers know what that means, but we're going to just kind of define that mm. terminology. I think for us, like, we sort of... So, say, like, the canine paradigm, their stuff is very technical. And I can remember way back before I was a dog trainer, I can remember the feeling of, like, listening to their stuff. And I think you kind of warned me as well. You're like, their stuff's very technical. And I was like, yeah, sweet. And and then I listened to it and a lot of it just goes straight over your head. Mm. Because with dog training and, like, until you really understand, especially operant conditioning because that whole positive-negative thing and and even the way that positive and negative is used by our force-free brothers in the dog industry. So, it is very confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, you know, what I'm trying to say is our podcast, we try and go a little bit more towards the pet dog side of things and try and bring that really technical stuff down- a notch, I guess, and well, even for break the, it down. the trainers to be listening to get a different way of explaining it because we're clients, talking yeah. to everyday people, yeah. you know. So we like are the translators, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Because like, there's the science, and then there's the application, and then there's explaining, the lame, and then the there's layman. explaining it yeah. to the person who's just like, oh, help me, my dog fucking does this. I know how it feels. Um, you know, obviously been talking about a bit of jujitsu here and there, and mm. I'm like, all right, we're gonna do this. All right, he's like, get him in the winch. Do the this, get mm. full mount. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what any of those are. Jargon, yeah. I have no idea. Every and industry I'm, has its own jargon. And I know the feeling of these because yeah. I've had some knowledge, but I don't know the techno- the terminology, especially, you know, like a couple of months ago. It's like all of us just, I'm just like going for it. So, yeah. it's really important that we know, that people know what the hell we're talking about. So, when we're talking about flooding, flooding is about over – so, if I was to – Habituate a dog and social, or like desensitize them to an environment. Let's just say they um they are scared of people. Yeah. So to flood your dog would mean you put them into an environment where there's lots and lots of people. Yeah. That there's so much stimulus that and and hopefully if you're going to use flooding, well, this that is it the works. issue with flooding, right? It's a very yeah. big issue. Yeah. Either you can do really well and the dog just goes, okay, cool. There's lots of people, nothing bad happened, and it can be successful. Yeah. Or and most of the time it goes the other way where your dog just comes back shut down overwhelmed, even more reactive. It's a, it's a dice roll. It's a, it's a bit of a coin toss, isn't it? And, and the problem with flooding as well is you don't know until it's too late almost. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like how then, do you know which way it's going to go? Well, then I guess the hardest answer to that is by screwing it up so many times, you know what type of dog, what yeah. sort of personality, what sort of behavior would appreciate either or. Yeah. A few dogs um, under the bridge before you kind of understand. Unfortunately, yeah. or even hopefully you've gone really careful and you've had extra long to know what has worked and you go that way. Yeah. Where at the end of the day, people make mistakes and hopefully you learn from them and that's the best way to go. Flooding would, po- uh, by the sounds of it, comes from a way of like, you know, chucking a dog in the pool, right? Yeah. You can either chuck them in the pool, they swim to the end and they yeah. come out. Well, you're flooding them with a stimulus. Exactly. So, whether that's like, yeah, like you said, people or like, Let's say it's let's say it's the vacuum cleaner. Mm-hmm. And like Shadow's still a bit sketchy around the Dyson, and so like I've been sort of working with him on that. 
for the most part, I just manage it. And like a lot of the time, the vac- like Rachel do the vacuuming when I'm not here anyway. So, she'll just put him outside and mm-hmm. like, sweet. And and this is what, you know, we've spoken about this before, but like a lot of dog training is about good management. Mm-hmm. Set yourself up for success. Mm-hmm. Long term, yeah, I want him to be tolerant of the vacuum cleaner and that kind of thing. But that doesn't mean I just like turn the Dyson on next to his head. And hope for the best. Step. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and that could be the worst thing because then that, that, will, that may even reinforce his fear or he's Absolutely. prey towards he's it. He's like, oh, I was right to be afraid of it. Exactly. Or when I bit it, you guys move it away from me or yeah. whatever it is. So, flooding. That's what I, and that's what I said to Rach. I was like, if you're ever near him vacuuming and, he, and I'm not around and he does something that you don't like, the worst thing you can do is turn the vacuum off. Yeah. Because he's operant. Well, it depends if he's scared it, it of da- it. Yeah. Right? Because what if he wants to get it because <laughs> it triggers, because the thing moves at the end, he goes into prey. So, then, that's like I said, then we go back to just management. I'm like, just like, we'll just- For now. When I'm around, we can do it. And and it and it helps because I can get her to control that distance of the Dyson anyway, and exactly. the loudness. Is it on? Is it off? Is it moving? That's right. Is it scraping on the floorboards? Mm-hmm. All kinds of stuff. And that's where it comes into distance work. So distance work is far superior because we can do a better counter conditioning process mm. to desensitize a dog. So we want to change a dog's mindset find of the, the stimulus. Find that threshold. And so, for example with the vacuum you start off with no not turned on moving back and forth and you're on one end of the house or the other every yep. time he looks at it you would mark it reward it shape it and then over time we get yep. closer and closer to the point where he goes oh every time i see this move i get food then we inten- increase the intensity of it so it can get to a point where he can be laying on his bed you vacuum around him he doesn't even notice it mm. that's the point of that where flooding would be like she'd be right just go and sometimes it works and the dog's like whatever i've seen this heaps of times it doesn't bother me yeah so what sparked all of this was um, Jace, um, a dog trainer. She's up in Palm Beach, I'm pretty sure. And she messaged me on Instagram. You know, messages, first of all, they take out emotion. So when she messaged me, I was kind of like, oh, she's having a dig at me. And, like, oh, yeah. and I wasn't no, expecting that. It's hard that. to, what's the word? It's like, um, not context. It's it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to read emotion. And it's like yeah. the same words said versus typed. Exactly. Have, so different. Yeah, it's like Without emojis too. That's different. why I love emojis. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm still feeling good, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, just writing something quickly. But she said something where, because she was watching a video, I was working with like a dog that was deemed dangerous. And she goes, oh, you choose to do flooding more than distance or something like that. It was a question. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, I'm like far out. Because in my head, and look, anyway, we, we had a little bit of a conversation. I'm like, look, I can't really type this. I'll be here for ages. So we had a chat on the phone the next day mm. and we came to the conclusion that we we're all on the same page talking mm. about what we're talking about. She was just curious because, and then in my head, maybe I had, oh, she says I flood the dog maybe because I'm just trying to do the easy quick fix sort of thing. But it wasn't that. Actually, in fact, you got to choose when to do flooding or not. And then also what I choose to record mm. when I have the opportunity to record yeah, is not the whole in process. The of training and explaining yeah. and doing all this other stuff. Hey, just a quick um, sidetrack on like text versus you know, the spoken word like this. Um, I know you have an Android, so you're not on Clubhouse, but like not this yet. is a very interesting thing. Under a month. Oh, okay. Yes. It's coming. Okay. <laughs> I don't, to be honest, I don't really use it. Um, I did for like the first couple of weeks, but what I found interesting was, and, and I've heard Glenn talk about this on Clubhouse. I don't, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but the gist of it, you know, obviously the dog training community, there's a sort of fairly large divide between balanced and and what people would say like force-free or positive only, whatever they they call themselves. Um, And historically, like a lot of that has been 
on social media up until this point where social media was always text-based. So, you could just like nail someone on Facebook and write really nasty comments and, and yeah, like context and- um, you know, inflection, the inflection yep. and all that kind of stuff gets taken out of it. Body language. Absolutely. Yep. And like intonation, all this stuff that you can't hear when you're just typing it. Um, and also, I think you just, there's a lot of things you wouldn't say via your voice mm-hmm. that you would feel confident to type. Because texting is like a reflection of your thought. Not, yeah, but it's also more you know, anonymous. Not anonymous, yeah. but like, do you know you're what I mean? It, there's less, there's less uh, on the line, I guess. Yeah. And it's been interesting because- and, you know, once again, like when Clubhouse started, like the vast majority of people on there seem to be of that force-free nature in the dog training space on Clubhouse. But having said that, there's been like, I've been in rooms where it's like um, force-free and balanced trainers like talking about stuff and agreeing to disagree, but like in a really positive mm-hmm. like forum type civil. Q&A, very civil. Yeah. Um, and so, part of me is just like, I think- I think, you know, the, the technology being now that Clubhouse is kind of, it's sort of like a halfway between like a chat room and a live podcast in one sense. I think a lot of that, let's say, um, ill will in the past, obviously we have fundamental disagreements, but being able to see us be like, be able to have civil conversations. Exactly. Um, sort of prove or in my mind it's like yeah maybe it was just came down to the fact that we were just typing it in the past and we felt able to just say stuff and then stuff gets taken out of context when you're a parent and so a friend of mine who has kids same age as leonardo and he um he said something about like commenting on leonardo blah, Mm. blah blah and then he goes like oh you know my son i won't say names doesn't listen or whatever yeah and i'm like okay like i don't i'm not a parent for a long enough time to give any hard answers. Sure. But, um, and we're friends and we hang out and the kids love hanging out with each other. We have different ways of parenting. Yep. And one thing- As so you should. As you should. Entitled. And we should all be- Now, obviously, something's like really bad. You should say something mm-hmm. like if it's, you know, whatever. Yeah, sure. But obviously, um, you don't want to like offend anybody. Like it's a very touchy subject. Yeah. And also, you I don't raise know- your kid and I'll raise I don't even mine. know if I'm doing the right thing. I'm just doing yeah. what I'm like, the best yeah, that I yeah. can. With the right intention, obviously. And he asked his son, do you want to go in the pram now to go to the park? And then he said, no. Again, he's like like a year and a half at this stage. So, he was walking and he had to kind of carry him. But then he's like, oh, I have to put you in the pram next to the cross the road. And and then- and then he's like, oh, and then because of what he asked me before or what he commented before, it was more of a question. Then I said to him, why did you ask him to go in the pram? You should have just told him you're going to put him in the pram if you're going to put him in there anyway. Because now you ask him, he had the opportunity to say no. Now, yeah. and then anyway, that's a style, right? Yeah, yeah. Like I would be like, hey, you're going in the pram now because we're walking in the park. Yeah, like I'm not. I'm, I wanna, not, I'm not asking I, you this. I, I, and I would be, I would be like that, like you as well. But I, and then now it's funny because, uh, and I think I've heard Pat talk about this before, but it's like we sort of like. You you you're up you you know you, you use operant conditioning on your dog and then Pat's like I, I swear I heard Pat say this he's like I'm raising an operant child and it's like but you're dealing in the inevitable right yeah. you're like I'm the dad yeah I'm in charge and this yeah. is like this is how we train dogs it's like you, you do it because I say you do it and because I'm in charge and like yeah. I, I've decided that this is safe or this is what we're doing yeah it's not a democracy 
Exactly. You know what I mean? Well, depending on the, and the thing, do you want to play with this or do you want to play yeah, with that? Yeah, that's or different. Do you, what, you know, like, so, they're but asking, he asked, what, so you're saying he asked the kid and then put him in the pram anyway? Or? Well, like he had to, he, we, we walked until we got to the road. Now he's like, oh, I kind of have to put you in the pram because it's kind of a dodgy road mm. and to push a pram and to hold you at the same so time. So then why ask him? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But he didn't think of that. And also he's like, oh, and he knows. He goes, bro, I know I'm soft and I know it's bad, but I can't because I love him so much. And so we caught up in that. I guess my original point there is- That's a, I think that's- we could possibly do a podcast on that one day. Loving versus leadership. Yes, I'd love that. Let's do that next you time know? we sit together. And I, I've heard another trainer talk about this on on YouTube. It's like, and this gets brought up a lot in dog training. Oh, I love my dog. So, like, again, I love my dog. I would never punish my dog because I love him. Okay, well, I love my dog. So, I will, in the moment, I will punish him with a leash correction. So, because, he doesn't get hurt. Correct. Because he's done something- Because I love him so much and I know unchecked he would go on like run on the road or do something really unsafe. So, for me, my love is a quick pop on the leash mm-hmm. because long term I want him to know that I represent him and then I've, I've exactly. made- As advantage. a human, yep. I have much- greater capacity to think and I've, I've, I can see ahead. I can see what's yeah. going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. That's my love. Exactly. And so, I lead him through my love, love rather it. than saying, oh, no, no, I love him. Like, I just let him do whatever he wants. It's like, oh, that's That's luck. tough when you are with parents that have kids like that because it's like it's hard to be around. Anyway, so, like, I guess my whole point of that is that we can be together, hang out together, may not and they and- and we may have different ideas of life and how we mm. want to operate our lives, but also there has to be common ground. So it's just, it's all about a give and take and, you know, when to say something, when not to say it, only give advice when it's been asked mm. and learn as well, because you may not be doing the right thing all the time. And yeah, that's right. what we should be treating each other as well. In the dog training industry is that maybe in 10 years, I changed my mind and go, no, nah, I've gone more this way. I've gone mm. more that way because I found it works better for me because personality as well comes in play to your training technique. Yeah, definitely. You know, so anyway, so distance and flooding. Now, when Jace messaged out, I had to speak to her on the phone. We had a chat and we were both on the same page. She actually asked some good questions, but also triggered thought. So, distance work is far superior, the best. You know, you find the, let's say your dog's reactive to other dogs. Mm. You find the dog at a good distance. You work on what you want the dog to do, focus on you, no reactivity, et cetera, et cetera. Be clear with the program. And then we get we create that critical distance mm. to become smaller and smaller over yeah. time. We, and you and you also find that threshold too, right? Like you might cross it initially and be like, "Well, we take a couple steps backwards here." Totally. Yeah. And then you got to acknowledge not just dog isn't just a dog. The dog that's calm, you can probably walk past it. But if the dog's barking, it's a different critical distance. So mm. you need, yeah, you need to understand mm. what that threshold is, and really educating the people that threshold's important before you even start any behavior modification. You want your dog to be desensitized. You can't do it while you're right next to another dog unless you flatten them out and go too much pressure, which some dogs, it, can, it may work. Most dogs, it doesn't work so well. And then for somebody to pull that off as well can be tough. However, if I worked at a boarding facility and I can control every single environmental factor, distance can work really well throughout the whole program until we get to more unpredictable environments. When I'm going to take my dog for a walk or when I'm going to teach somebody when they're taking their reactive dog, how can you control distance in every single situation? Mm. The answer is you can't. Yeah. How do you know the dog's not going to come out of the driveway? You're going to turn around, there's a dog there and there's dogs everywhere. That's, I mean, that's dog training in a nutshell. You, you're, you're on this constant spinning wheel of head on a swivel, especially where like the way we train out, out in the open, not Mm -hmm. in a facility. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And you can only control so many variables. Exactly. And how What's you react. What's to stop you from getting blindsided around a corner by a reactive dog? So sometimes or- you have to flood. Yeah. Because the dog's just there. Mm. Now, of course, you may not be doing the technique of flooding, but you need to get yourself out of there. So when I'm teaching clients, so the context of that video that she commented on was spades was in a down, the dog that was muzzled was out. We did a bit of a walk first. Then the dog happened to come out of nowhere. I showed him how to just walk up someone's driveway, make that space, try to manage the situation before trying to do any training. Mm. Then I pulled spades out. We did all that. And then right towards the end, we had spades in a down, had the border collie walking past him within like maybe like a five meter distance from each other. He did really well. There was times where he was staring and I was showing him, hey, like, you know, try to get your dog. And the dog was so stressed just because he never – He's very fussy, number one. Number two is that when he's out on the walk, he never eats. This is session one. Mm. So, there was so many Plus things. Yeah. So, he went over the threshold to oh, even eat at all. He was he at a threshold eat. just being at the front door. He, he wouldn't eat take treats yeah. and there wasn't even a dog yeah. in sight. So, then you're only left. You, you, you're up, your toolkit's getting smaller when the dog refuses to take food. We just have to manage him and yeah. use pressure. You're left, you're left, you're, you were only left with compulsion. They're like, yeah. well, train my dog. <laughs> he won't take the yeah. food. And then also the competency of the individuals. Mm. Will they do all the things and, you know, existential feeding or yeah. even just- That's blah, blah, it, blah. right? Like we're only there for an hour, an hour and a half. Yeah. Once, twice a month or whatever it is. Even so if it was once a week, like people- There's still 23 more hours in the day. Yeah. Six and a half more days in the week mm-hmm. from the one to two hours that, you, that exactly. you're there. Which then means, and it's always on me, if the session didn't work out well, and this is how I am to this day, if it didn't work out well or we didn't get the result, people didn't like the outcome, the results, whatever, I always blame me. I'm mm-hmm. just always like, well, I fucked up. I just didn't do the right job. I didn't, I wasn't clear enough. I didn't establish how I could help them. And like, and I'm always like that. That's just how I am. Mm-hmm. But also- that's how critical I am. But the problem with that is that you can be festering that for hours after when you hear something or mm. you find out or when you have a conversation, then I just blame myself. At some point, you got to let it go, right? You have to let it yeah. go. But also, it's you compel yourself to growth as well. So, it, it's a yeah, bit of a yeah. fine balance. But when I hear that and I'm like, all right, well, I don't really want to be forcing dogs to just have to behave. But then I also want to be realistic about the training. Even if I was aboard and trained the dog, then after all these weeks or months goes back to the owners, they still – need to work at their level and also there may be things that arise so distance and flooding i think we should be able to manage both we're aiming more towards distance in terms of if you see a dog coming and you don't make some space cross the road turn around do something to make your dog sit and let the dog walk past is not going to happen mm. um the best thing to do is going look there's a dog coming my dog is definitely going to react to this dog because i know the characteristics of the other dog change like cross the road and have enough space where you can get your dog's focus back onto yeah. you and then practice the technique. But so on, the, on the other hand, walking down the street, the dog comes out of the driveway, you got to be pre- prepared and know how to handle that pressure. Mm. You've so, got a plan. Yeah, it's happening. Boom, turn mm. around, make some space. Let's not make any incident occur. We don't want to make the behavior worse. And also we need to be able to be tactical in regards to how we do, like how we are handling our dog and what can we expect of our dog in these sort of situations. That's why like, you know, a lot of our clients, a lot of my clients, we do meet eventually if we do have like socialization issues, we do end up walking that Esplanade. Esplanade is like the place that we always, yeah, yeah. like that's our goal because yeah. we know there's lots of dogs, it's guaranteed. Yeah. It's a very short and, path. And like, not only like, as in you're using the Esplanade as a really good way to train the dog, but ultimately like that's life. Like yep. just to walk your dog down the Esplanade, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, sweet. Like this is life. Like same way that I want Shadow to hang out next to us while we, you and I have an adult conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't want him jumping all over you mm-hmm. and acting like an idiot. Exactly. It's like- We're practicing life. As exactly. 
Yeah. And the and when I say to people I'm like, look, this session one, I'm gonna pledge. Session four, we walk the Esplanade. And a lot of the times when I have to say that, people are like, Oh, I don't know. And, <laughs> you know, so I'm like, it's good. But it's- you gotta have like it's it's so important to always have a goal, right? Regardless, dog training, whatever, yep. professional, mm-hmm. business, like personal goals. You know, you might miss it by a couple of sessions or one session or whatever, but like what are you aiming at? Exactly. Yeah. So if we can make that and look How do you if- measure progress without a goal? Exactly. And what is anything with that? Like, what are you, where are you walking? Like, you don't walk sideways up the street. You walk mm. forward. Where are you moving to? A to B. Like, we're, mm. we have, like, we are creatures that have an agenda. Yeah. And especially when it comes to a dog, we can't just let them do whatever they want because we get employed to stop behaviors. We need to teach the dogs what we want them to mm. do. And we need to set the standard, set the goal. So if we can say, hey, look, and some people say, I'm not interested in walking this one night. I just want my dog to not bark when people walk past and I'll walk my dog at nighttime anyway. So everyone's a bit different. But I would say, but wouldn't it be nice if we could? Mm. Now, if you want to, we'll do it. Now, first session- It's an aspirational goal. Exactly. Yeah. First session, we don't meet at the Esplanade and make the dog do it because that would be flooding. And now some dogs could cope with that and it would be the best technique for them. But most of the time, we have to be a lot more technical. Now, when, or even for example, a client came to my house, she lived too far away from me. So she comes to me and at the end of my street, the Grand Parade, very busy cars. And this dog's scared of motorbikes and trucks. Perfect. So we got it there. Now, I could flood that dog by walking along the, the Grand Parade and it can work. Maybe. But what I showed her is, look, we're going to be from like, we're going to be six houses away from the, from the, every time she looks in that direction, we mark and reward, bring focus back to us, do that for three minutes, positive, we turn around, we walk up to the park where mm-hmm. there's less. But in saying that, while we're doing it, what happens? A freaking bike comes down my street and right past us, she freaks out and I'm like, meh. So, where can I be in a bubble no, where there's can't. no bikes around? But you can't. And like- yeah. What's to say even you do four or five sessions with that dog and the next postie that comes past, she freaks out anyway. Mm-hmm. When I say postie for our American listeners, that's a postman, <laughs> a on, postman. A, on a motorbike. <laughs> and that's like all our all our posties are on little, really loud motorbikes. Yeah. So, yeah, like you, you, you can only control what you can control. Exactly. So, that's why when you say, oh, you can't flood this dog, you can't do that. I'm like- but The flip the- side too is like if you, if you are a facility trainer, like- you don't necessarily have a lot of access to this stuff. So, you have to go out. Yeah. Yeah, like- If the dog's scared it, of cars- Both of them think- have their pluses and minuses, like exactly. anything, right? So, like, so then how do we mitigate both those things? Mm. We, we need the distance. We don't want to overwhelm our dogs with, with the technique- we should be equipped for both. Mm. And also flooding can be really useful once we've done a lot of distance work. And then we have to then teach the dog, well, we're going to walk the Esplanade. There are going to be maybe a dog behind us. There may be even a dog in front of you. And there may be two dogs walking past you. When is that dog ready for that step? Because if we don't get to well, a you point- You don't know until can- you try it. Right. Well, that, but also, can you walk down the street where there's less dogs and yeah. only one dog walk past yeah. you? The dog pulled it off. Cool. Can we do it with spades? It's like a walking gradual checklist. You? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Where you start with you start with spades in in uh, you know the nervy dog in the back, mm-hmm. so he's got nothing behind him. Yeah. And then you try spades behind him. Every variation. It's like yeah, all these different variations walking together alongside, and then maybe a, a stranger dog or yeah. like a whatever. And so you you gradually like increasing those stimulus, and mm-hmm. like it's like a checklist. Yep, yeah, we did well. Oh, we missed that one. And then the dog may walk past, but the next dog walks past and lunges and barks. Mm. That changes the whole scenario. Or or two dogs walk past completely calmly but this dog just decides he doesn't like the look of the yeah. second one yeah for whatever reason mm-hmm. you can't ask him he's a fucking dog right yeah. he can't tell you yeah you just you work like glenn always says this right you work the dog that's in front of you uh-huh uh, 
Definitely. So, well, just like that episode I put out um, when this goes out a couple of weeks ago, when it talks about environment and and body language, we're all so wrapped up on reading body language, but not having any situational awareness. Mm. Yeah, your dog walked past the greyhound, and with no problem, the dog was able to focus on you. Mm. But you walk past the German Shepherd, and the German Shepherd barked, and then the dog reacted. We say, "Oh, he reacts to dogs." Well, which dog? When? Yeah. What distance? What breed was it? What, what was the behavior like? Yeah. Was it nighttime during the day? Was it you? Was it your husband? Was it mm. like who was walking? So yeah. we have to take all these variations of environment, body language, and that's how you can see as much as we can of where our dogs are at, along with all the other variables that come along. Once you get a 10 out of 10 success, you're ready for the next step. Yeah. And, and this is what kills me the most. This isn't really related specifically, but people do their recall training at home. So, like, I just got a message the other day from a client. I was just checking up to see how they went. And, then, and we did a bit of recall training in the backyard. And then their comment was, everything's been great, but we park. go to the bloody do- the park. We let the dog off the lead and she didn't come back. I'm like, you went from step three to step 75 overnight. I heard a really good <laughs> analogy about this. And it was um, was a trainer. I, I can't remember who it was, but it was on one, something something on Instagram or YouTube. And he was like- if you were learning to ride a bike, you don't go from your backyard to the Tour de France. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. And like we always talk about how dogs learn in pictures. So you, okay, so in that sense, those clients have only shown the dog the picture of recall is in the backyard. Mm-hmm. You go to the park, the dog doesn't know what recall is in yep. that context because mm-hmm. you've only shown him one. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Oh, hey, Panos, we did um, one session of recall in our, you know, quiet backyard. And then why didn't it work at the dog park? It's exactly. Like- and then we have the, well, we know the answer to that. Well, mm. what what other competing motivators are around? Mm. Has a dog any success out there? Has a dog ever even eaten any food outside of your house? Mm. Does, does your dog know there's a possibility for food outside of your house? Or And then also when people say- my dog only comes back to me when the dog knows I have food. I'm like, your command should announce that food is potentially available, mm. not your body and, language. Well, and also that's another picture you have to show the dog eventually, like that indirect reward, like show them the picture of, I mean, the, obviously the dog can smell the food, but like what I mean is like, you're not, you got to get to a point where you don't necessarily have the big hulking like treat pouch mm-hmm. strapped on. Maybe you've got some food concealed in a mm-hmm. pocket somewhere. Because your dog sees a pouch for Correct. sure. Yeah. So like, and you, dogs read everything down to the, the millimeter, right? Exactly. And then and you don't know what they are or aren't reading. So mm-hmm. just assume that they are. Yeah. Show them A, the picture of the dog beach if you choose mm-hmm. to go to a dog park in the mm-hmm. first place and show them, then show them the picture of an indirect reward like mm-hmm. hidden somewhere, yep. you know? The only way for something to be true for the dog is to ha- for it to have been true exactly. in the past, right? Yeah. And multiple times. Exactly. And Otherwise, why, why would the dog believe you? Why, exactly. And then also from a continuous schedule to intermittent, don't yeah. reward every single time and then one yeah. day stop rewarding. Then all these things are really important for, for the success to happen. And in that video we're talking about with the muzzle dog, um, so Spades was there. Now he was- Standing right next to the owner very nicely. Best walking the dog's ever done in his whole life. And I don't see that as a success. Yeah, we see nice walking while I'm here in this context. I've Mm. set everybody up. Mm. Tomorrow, I need it to happen. I need it to happen when I see you in three weeks. I want to see that. So, Mm. we need to choose what's more important right now. If we want our dogs to be comfortable and desensitized to other dogs and not be in a state of fear where it has to go and bite Mm. somebody else, we need 
a good set of obedience, leash handling. The dog needs to understand how to access reward. The dog needs to how to access. I mean, how to understand what leash pressure and avoiding of certain punishment is. Once the dog understands what it needs to do, mm. um, we need to set the dog up in the right environment. There's so many things we need to choose. What's more important, session one? What's important, session five? And that's the thing. Like you can only. Like, we're, you know, we're on the clock for, let's say, 90 minutes. There's only so much you can do in 90 minutes. Yeah. And the flip side of that as well is, like, you would never- I don't train shadow for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I explain that to my clients. I'm like, yeah. the only reason, like, we're working the dog for this long, and that's why we break it up with walking and whatever, mm-hmm. but it's like, you would never work a dog for that long, no. right? But it's weird because they hire you mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, I'm on the clock. And, like, mm-hmm. they- I'm sure there's some expectation- I would, if I was a novice pet owner mm-hmm. and I paid someone however much to come over for an hour and a half, I'd be like, yeah, sweet, you're on the clock for an hour and a half. But like yeah. it, when with a dog, it's like the dog might need two reps yep. and then put it away. So, exactly. you got to like, and there's so many factors, equip right? Equip them with the right information without overwhelming them. How much are they prepared to understand? So, there's so many variables. No two clients are the same. Exactly. How much do you know this client- can take on and is going to follow through versus the next guy mm-hmm. or even like, let's say the same household. And it's like, I don't know the the boyfriend versus the girlfriend mm-hmm. versus whatever else. Yeah. The mum. And then know? what I tell them to do. So let's just say we work the name game session one, where every time your dog sees a dog in the distance, bit of pressure, say your dog's name, the dog looks at you, relief pressure, reward the dog. Mm. That's not the end goal. Mm. That's just, I want you to do this for the next three weeks so that where next time we do it, we can go, cool, now we can say the dog's name and tell them to come to heal and then to look at us and then to continue walking. Mm. And then I need that to happen in another week or so, walking past the dog, you know, so there's steps. <laughs> so just because then, they showed you also, step one. There's no such thing as a finished dog. Exactly. And if there were, how boring is that? What's well, the point yeah. of having a finished dog? Then the you need of- a new dog. Yeah, and then also, when are you ever finished workout? When have you ever You're finished not. learning something and whatever? So, and that goes back to the goal thing. Like, yeah. once you reach a goal, you've got to set another set one. New ones. Yeah, you don't. Can't say we're finished. Perfect. No. It makes no sense. Yeah. But um, so yeah, so we have to give them what they're ready for at that moment. And to say, yeah, I did a session with Panos and he showed me to do this. And the other trainer says that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? It's like, oh, bro, that was like set step two in in the 15 step thing mm. but how can i give them the 15 steps if they don't even know what you know positive reinforcement means or negative reinforcement? Well, what's a marker you don't even know any of that stuff mm. so we have to take that into account especially when we're watching people's work and i and when i'm putting videos up i'm not trying to show the best videos i'm trying to show you just whatever we do mm. it has to be half decent so you can like at least engage and yeah, watch yeah, it yeah, yeah. but like i and look at them and sometimes i even put my mistakes up because that's just life and i want yeah. to encourage that hey let's just be raw yeah but um so when the dog was in a sit- Plus, you're not a film crew, like you, you know what I mean. Yeah, it would be nice as I'm a follower. <laughs> yeah. You get the whole process, right? Yeah. So then I had Spades to bark on command, and then as soon as Spades barked, I knew the dog was going to like lunge forward. Mm. I was waiting for that to happen. So when he lunged forward, I was going to tell them, "You turn around now and make that space." Now I could have made it completely positive by Spades being completely cool, and then they finish on a positive note. But then now I haven't set them up for what could happen. Yeah. Tomorrow when the dog barks at them. out of there and so that, that situation happens. And then if you haven't set it up on purpose, they're like, oh, wow, well, that we do, what do we do now? So, then that's the problem with going by the books is that we want to always positive and like always finish on a positive note and good distance. But the reality is, is that these things happen and it always doesn't go to. So, not that I'm trying to m- make spades bark to freak the mm. dog out. It was meant to be so that, well, anyway, we- but you've got to test it. There, there was, I was testing, but I was also, I was setting up a situation because we had no other dogs around to work with. Yeah. So, 
that's what comes from experience. And that's the, the whole point of you having your demo dog, right? Is like yeah. you can control his output and, and then that becomes an input into this yeah. other dog's exactly. um, training, right? Yeah. Because otherwise, yeah, you're kind of relying on what you can encounter. And then what, how much random dogs do we have to walk past to yeah. use them as guinea pigs? And mm. what if something bad happens? It's just it's messy. Mm. So, yeah, you got to- There's a bit of an art to it. And that's where it comes down to- So, I guess the main point of all of this conversation is we have equipped ourselves with a science- and we know that it's a craft, it's an art, mm. and we have to stop relying so much on science, terminology, pa 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 pa, mm. and then get into the flow of things, mm. the rhythm of the the feeling, the I sensation. I think that's probably one of the best things about having to translate all of this to pet owners is that you you really are forced to leave a lot of the jargon behind because and focus more on. I'm not saying dumbing it down, but like. You do have to be more of an artist in the sense that you have to explain it. It's a feeling. In a very creative way yes. to someone and use analogies and like- exactly. I try and use a lot of analogies and stories and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. to and metaphors mm-hmm. for something that they might already understand to exactly. bring it back to the dog training. Totally. You know? Like I'll be with the dog and I was sitting there, me and you're talking. I've got a dog on the end of the lead. I don't know the dog that well. And as I'm talking, I'm like, oh, and I'll get up and move. And it's like, oh, what, where did Panos go? Mm. And it's like, oh, I just, the way he got up and like kind of like looked at that dog, I felt like it was going to be too much. So, I'll make that space first, get the dog's focus, come back. I set the situation mm. up. It's a feeling there. I'm not sitting here going, ears are up, eyes are forward. Oh, the tech. It's like, not a checklist. You can't, by yeah. the time you think that, it's, yeah, the whole it's thing's late. gone. Yeah. It has to be in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're walking down the street, some guy gives you the weird look. You're like, we should go. And it's like, why? It's like, I just got that feeling. It's a, it's, there's in- yeah, intuition, it's not, instinct. It's not something that you could- like write write it out, yeah. Like X Y Z. It's just no. I, I just I just feel it. So it's nice to get that feeling. Just like when you are going to learn a dance move, if you're going to learn a technique at martial arts, if you're learning how to do squats, mm. there's like you can watch the video and learn angles, but you should feel it so but, you can yeah. become muscle memory. The point, well, exactly, and that's right. So at the start, the science and the one, two, three, four, five steps is like that's how you teach yourself right mm-hmm. and then your brain takes that all in mm-hmm. all in and then like the more you learn and practice something the less mm-hmm. of your nervous system is required exactly to do it because it goes from that real like neural mm-hmm. n- neural yeah like thinking side to more feeling yes you know well then that's it's like driving a car when you're on exactly. your L's, you're f- fuck you're so stressed Stiff. and like now when you pass someone with an l plate like i always try and give him as much mm-hmm. distance as i yeah. can and not stress them out because i'm like i know what that felt like yeah. when i was 16 exactly. you know and but now, like, I can drive and be on speakerphone and, like, mm-hmm. it's, like, second nature. Exactly. You know and I mean? you'll swerve out of that cat that exactly. runs on the street because it's, it's just it's programmed into it's you. It's automatic. And that's- Because you've been driving for 15 years. So, then know? let's go through the whole process. You get a dog. You start to train your dog. You learn about dog training. You get into dog training mm. by training a dog. Mm. Then you get out there by training random dogs. Just you and the dog. And then you're like, cool, I can teach a dog to do stuff. Then you want to teach somebody. So, you need to go back to yourself going, what do I do? How do I break it down? Then how do I put into language so I can come out my mouth? Then we put onto social media mm. and then we put into a podcast. It's like it's all very messy because this art, this it's like trying to learn how to do a jab and a right hook. Mm. Like you can like watch the video and you can like see how you, you put your body. nothing like doing it. But once you yeah. do it and then you do it really good 150,000 times, mm. then you you know it's right because of how it felt, 
not because of how it looked because you're not looking at your arms doing it you're feeling it yeah and then once then you get into a rhythm of fighting and that's when when you learn like a technique and it's like oh i got the stick and then he goes for the left so i come around and i do this thing and i lock you up and it's like wow i feel really good Mm. and like and if you do it a lot of times then someone goes how do i do that and i'm like oh hold on a second then i have to do it a whole bunch of times in the air break it down one two three one two three then but doing that makes it clinical it makes it too mechanical Mm. but the point of what makes it look so good and what's so effective is the rhythm of it it's like you're walking down the street your dog perks up to go and lunge at a dog it's a it's the timing of knowing when to turn and how to turn to move your dog away is all the difference by then saying i need to stop I need to turn. I need to put the pressure this direction. Yeah, you know, like that's where it becomes too mechanical. The dog finds balance and then still pulls you off, off, off your feet onto the ground, and that's where distance, flooding, and then trying to merge it together and what's realistic, what's not. I wanted to kind of put that out there because it's not as easy as what the textbook says. You mm. know what I mean? And um, or, and it's not as it's not as textbook as the textbook yeah, says. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's not take as the clear, clinical stuff. It's out not as clear it. cut. You know, like I went. Like we went to the hospital, like I know this is not the same, but we went to the hospital. Um, Leonardo had some like bites on his leg and his leg the next day was like really hot, inflamed. Mm. And he had like a temperature of like 39 or something. Mm. So obviously that's a concern. So we took him to the um, the hospital and they said, look, like obviously he's got a fever. We gave him the Panadol, Nurofen stuff, um, started to settle it down. And we're going, why? Why do you think he's got it? And they're like, look, like, and then I'm saying all oh, the bites, obviously. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, well, we think the bites are coincidental to the fever. I'm like, but his leg that has the bites on it are really hot. Mm. And now he has a fever and he's like 80 months old and he's probably never had these bites before. So his body is just developing a, an immune response mm. to this bite. And like, wouldn't you say that makes a connection? And she goes, well, textbook, they can't say what they feel because if they say the wrong thing, they get liable for, for this sure. and blah, blah, blah. So then they rather they give a, back a shitty the- bullshit advice yeah. about saying, we think it's coincidental we may be coming down with the, fee- with the flu or something. And then two days later, the bites went away, like healed up and he had no fever. Mm. And I was like, obviously it was the bites. Yeah. But like, I'm not a doctor, so how can I say it's guaranteed? Yeah. But even the doctor wouldn't say it, but they were too scared to say it. But if it was like, if that doctor was my my auntie, she was like, I can't look, it's probably the bites. Yeah. Um, we'll probably give it antihistamine, probably sell it down. Let's give him a bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, but that's like we're a- so scared of giving the wrong advice because we're getting trouble mm. rather than just being human and just talk about That's this. the world we live in now though, isn't and it? And that's why we put this out there. We're not very PC. We're not very, um, you know, like, um, what do you say? Like we're not, um, what's the word? Fucking, um, we, not, sh- we, sh- we shoot straight. We shoot straight, but like, yeah, we're not censored. We're not trying to like make yeah, it like, yeah, yeah. oh, we know we can't say this because it'll affect that. Like, we just say it how it is. Maybe we probably swear a little bit less because we're mindful that maybe children may be listening, mm. even though we probably swore sometimes here and there. Sorry, kids. Sorry, kiddos. <laughs> but look, I think it's important that, um, we try to not censor ourselves so much because we're going to offend somebody. Let's just say how it is from um, mm. from our own experience so that you can actually benefit rather than me fluffing around trying to make it sound nice and poetic, but it doesn't work in real life. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's where I'm at with that. What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was listening to um, – how unusual. I was listening to something Jordan Peterson said, but he was talking – he was on um, – he was talking to Russell Brand mm-hmm. the other day. And I love it when these guys get together because Russell Brand's like super fucking smart as well. Um, and, you know, they're talking about like legacy media. So, like network television versus new media. So, mm-hmm. podcasts, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. And Jordan Peterson was saying like, 
when you go on network television, like for him as being interviewed on the BBC and all this kind of stuff, he's like, because network TV costs so much. So, it's like whatever it is, $200,000 a minute, let's say, to run and all of that, that bandwidth, that, that's what it costs. Because it's so expensive, the person that- like if I'm Jordan Peterson and you're the interviewer, you know, you're the journalist, I'm not actually talking to the journalist. I'm talking to the corporation mm-hmm. via that person. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And there's yeah. there's so, there's so little room for any error or leeway yeah. to go left or right because it's like- person, you're talking Well, we've got- Okay, look, um, yeah, you're great, Jordan Peterson, but we've got two and a half minutes to yeah. talk about what on a podcast would go for probably three hours. Yeah. And like the reason that podcasts are so interesting is like it's just- it's like following a, a ball of string, mm-hmm. you know? It's like this- You just don't know where it's, it's human conversation. Go. Yeah, yes. exactly. So, it's so much closer to what we know as natural, yeah. whereas- there's no way that a network interview could ever be that mm-hmm. purely because it's just costs so much money. True. Right? And that's why it's going to fade out and die maybe or unless they change because we're here now recording this and we're not executive blah, blah, blah of a no, corporation. No, well, that's what he's saying. Like everyone is effectively a TV and a radio but producer. it's becoming too saturated where we drown with all the rest of them and then only the- until yeah. corporations take on to podcasts in the next five, ten years, then it's just like a YouTube channel. Yeah, but people will always find their niche, right? We like- can find the niche and we still have followers and we appreciate you. But um but yeah, it could it could happen like that too. But the best thing to do is regardless, because we're not trying to get out there to reach the most amount of people we no. do. And then like like I said at the start, like, you know, we this podcast talks to like the pet owner who is lean slightly more towards being interested in dog training. Mm-hmm. So, like, out of- And like we said, in, you know, in the past episodes, like, there's dog owners who just don't give a shit. Like, mm-hmm. they, they just want to have a dog. Yeah. So, it is a relatively niche thing. Do you know totally, what I mean? 100%. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Because there's only so many dog owners. There's a lot of people who have dogs, but there's only so many people who have dogs and care enough. And you listen to podcasts. I'm sure you're not just listening to Life With Your Dog. You no, probably have another list. Well, I had then- a client yesterday, Marrickville, mm-hmm. new guy, and he's got like a rescue and and he never, he never mentioned this until I got there, but he's like, oh, I've had a lot of success with box feeding. And I was like, oh, sweet. So, you like listen to the Canine Paradigm. He's like, yeah, man, like mm-hmm. I'm really into it. And like I, I just joined their Patreon and mm-hmm. I'm like- it's so cool to have a client like that who gets it mm-hmm. and is not just like, you know, just fix my dog kind of thing. Yeah. And I know that when I, whatever I teach him, he's really, he really takes that to heart. Yeah. And then he messaged me this morning and was like, um, yeah, like, you know, thanks for that. And like, I'm, I'm learning a lot. And, but from my perspective, like, like I said, I really love the fact that there's people out there like just like the whatever, like pet owners mm-hmm. and who get into it more yeah. and box feeding and exactly. listening to different podcasts. And For like, sure. Ultimately, like forget about the podcast. It all comes down to like the relationship that they're building with their dog. So, I exactly. can really- That really hits me. I love that. Well, when we talk about distance and flooding, what's the goal? The mm-hmm. goal isn't about getting caught up on flooding and distance. No. The goal is I just want to walk down the street with my dog, bro. I just want to go for a walk, look at the trees, you know- that's the end goal. Have a chat, listen to a podcast while I go and stretch and do a bit of exercise. Like the goal is not about the technique. Let's not get caught up on the technique. Mm. You want to learn to defend yourself. You want to be alive so you can go to your family. Mm. You don't want to get so obsessed about fighting mm. that 
you're consumed by the whole thing. Like that's something about it, learning about self-defense is that don't get so caught up and holding on to everything. Mm. If it means that you can look the other way, say, hey, there's cops there. The guy looks and you run, you win the fight. That's cool. Now, if you're getting into training to compete, that's a whole other ball game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need to know what your intentions are. And sometimes we can get caught up in the loop. We get into we get a dog, we, we have a problem dog, so we get into a bit of training, then the training gets into the sports stuff and then we get so, not, nothing, none of this is bad, but then you get really consumed by that and then it becomes a real, and that's awesome. Some people love that, but then also it can get overwhelming because mm. you put a lot of pressure on yourself and your dog. So you need to find what your intentions are before you set out to do any behavior modification or training. What like right now, my goal for Nookie is when I say middle, I walk in a straight line, she walks with me. At the moment, it's been a couple of months. I'm not really diligently doing this every mm. single day with her. But um, That's another thing, right? Like you get the dog you train or you get the dog that you allow, I guess the behaviors mm-hmm. that you allow. So, And you you know that. You're like, yeah, I, I haven't been super diligent. So why would I expect her to- Exactly. Why would I expect to have the results if I didn't necessarily put in that work? That's right. And why do I- teach the middle i don't need it i just do it because it's an extra thing for her to go to ball because sit down come and spin Spin. and touch and roll and like those are getting a bit boring now i'm teaching her around it's dopamine for her it's dopamine for you totally and And builds the bond builds the bond and gets her exhausted in the middle of our walk we come home she's done she's only small but she needs a certain amount of energy out Mm. so we need to do that so but my goal is i want to be able to say middle just like what i do with spades and do right about turn left about turn walk backwards and keep that middle yeah so look and Difficult for me because she's super small. She's sensitive. Her, yeah. My foot moves. She's like, "You're gonna step on me." Where if my foot moves with shadow, he may not be, may not care as much yeah. because he's bigger. So there's many reasons why we do it, but we have to know what is the point. Mm. What is what are we aiming at? Don't get caught up on so much tech terminology and yeah. technicality. It yeah. kind of takes away the joy out of it. Mm. Like you drive, don't go. Is my hand ten o'clock? Like ten <laughs> to three? Like you know, just hold it. But yeah. like have the have something as a good foundation. Aim towards something. Have a dog trainer that's helping you in moving a direction, but just remember you're aiming at something. Not because a lot of trainers get too caught up in all the jingo of it, mm. the lingo, the lingo of it, and and like you have to have this tool and you have to use that thing. It's like, does it work? Does it not work? Like, let's just work Here's around works, it. And right? I think that's so important. So that's my my um. My yeah, that was we had a few side tracks on this one, but that was. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. And we try to bring a full circle <laughs> right around to all of it, but um, yeah. That, look, and that's ultimately like. I hope anyway that that's part of what makes this podcast interesting if people if people do find it interesting. I mean people are listening so uh Let's hope that's why they're listening, exactly. not just to listen. Well, to yeah, yeah, Who are those dickheads? Well, look, like I've been listening to it, like I've been making an effort to do a lot of audiobook. Um, oh, yeah. Like, because I've been trying to, just a little bit of a break from the podcast, but, and I listened to Jordan Peterson's new book, loving it. Mm. Um, and I'm on the last chapter, but today, on the way here, like on the way to my session before I came here, I thought, I know I just want to listen to a bit of a podcast just to kind of shoot the shit and have a con- listen yeah, to a yeah, conversation yeah. because it's not as um, it's too bu- structured. Bu- bu- yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. It's too much, especially Jordan Peterson first thing in yeah. the morning. You're like, I think I need to wake up a little bit more because you know coffee. <laughs> it's a bit more heavy. So that's why hopefully we're part of your your tribe, your family. You're someone that you listen to, and this, one of my clients goes, "Bro, I'm listening to you before bed first thing in the morning." <laughs> He's like, and then now you're here talking to me. It's freaking surreal, and yeah, I'm like, yeah. "Hey, that's a good feeling." So yeah, yeah. awesome. All right, thanks, guys. Thank Um, you. Like I said, we don't just do this to like listen to ourselves talk. I don't listen back to these episodes anymore. I used to, but I don't now. So um, I hope you guys get something out of it. And totally, um, likewise, hit us up with questions. And uh, like you know, we panel does a Q and A every other week. And hope you guys are well. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Keep training your dog, people. That's it. Bye. Bye.